Welcome to From Hearing to Knowing. I'm your host, Charlotte Aber. Today's episode goes out to anyone who's experienced a broken heart. On September 11th, 2019, the FDA released phase one of a trial that shows hydrogel is safe to inject in humans. This article comes to you from Science Daily, sourced from University of California, San Diego. Ventrix, a University of California, San Diego spin-off company, has successfully conducted a first-in-human, FDA-approved Phase one clinical trial of an injectable hydrogel that aims to repair damage and restore cardiac function in heart failure patients who previously suffered a heart attack. The trial is the first to test a hydrogel designed to repair cardiac tissue. It is also the first to test a hydrogel made from the natural scaffolding of cardiac muscle tissue, also known as extracellular matrix or ECM. This is significant because ECM hydrogels have been shown in preclinical studies to potentially be effective for other conditions, such as poor blood circulation due to peripheral artery disease. The trial showed that hydrogel, known as ventrogel, can be safely injected via catheter into patients who had suffered a heart attack in the past 2 to 36 months. Catheter is not in the place that you think it is, guys. So that's two months to three years. Although the study was diagnosed to evaluate safety and feasibility and not designed to show whether Ventrogel effectively helps improve heart function, we observed some improvements in patients, said Karen Christman. The paper's senior author and professor of bioengineering in the Jacobs School of Engineering and the Institute of Engineering in Medicine at UC San Diego. This is a common trend. They didn't expect to get the polio vaccine from fermented cheese either. For example, patients could walk longer distances. We also observed signs of improving heart function in patients who experienced a heart attack more than one year prior to treatment. Researchers from Ventrix, led by Christman, report their findings on September 11th issue of Journal of the American College of Cardiology. Dr. J. Travers at Minneapolis Heart Institute was the lead clinical investigator. I think I've mentioned on the show before that heart disease is the leading cause of mortality for men in the United States. There are an estimated 785,000 new heart attack cases in the United States each year, with no established treatment for repair that results in damage to cardiac tissue. After a heart attack, scar tissue develops, which diminishes muscle function and leads to heart failure. So take that into consideration. You have the broken heart and there's nothing designed for repair. Similar to the current highly political status of Lyme disease treatment. This is where Ventrogel comes in. 
This is not, by the way, a commercial for Venture Gel, nor was I intending it to be. It's really just about the research, and let's all just accept it and move on. Limited time offer, not available in stores, and is made in Britain. Beware of imitators. May cause heart attack, stroke, and death. Use with caution. Once injected in damaged cardiac muscle, Venture Gel forms a scaffold that acts as a reparative environment where healthy cells migrate, leading to increases in cardiac muscle less scar tissue, and improvements in heart function. Ventrigel was invented by Kreisman and her team, then licensed from UC San Diego and developed by Ventrix Inc., which was co-founded by CEO Adam Kingsley and Kreisman. Ventrigel is made from cardiac connective tissue taken from pigs, which is stripped from the heart muscles through a cleansing process. Yikes. It is then freeze-dried and milled into powder form. You guys just stumbled upon this? And then liquefied into a fluid that can easily be injected into heart muscle in a minimally invasive procedure that does not require surgery. So, okay, so they cleaned the heart muscle out of the pig, they freeze-dried it, and they milled it, and they liquefied it, and then they injected it. <laughs> Once it hits body temperature, it turns liquid into a semi-solid porous gel. The phase one trial evaluated the gel in 15 patients who sustained moderate damage in the left ventricle chamber of the heart following a heart attack. Each patient received up to 18 injections of ventrigel into the damaged region via catheter. Researchers followed the patient for six months after treatment. All patients completed the full follow-up, which is kind of spectacular for a clinical trial. I mean, I know that it's only 15 people. I know that they probably were still going to the doctor, but I mean, so many people just say, oh, I had a heart attack. I'm just going to get back to my everyday life. But no, they, they followed up. I wonder if it was a paid trial. Patients took a six-minute walking test as well as a heart function assessment and a heart health questionnaire before the injections. They retook the tests three and six months later. In addition, patients underwent an MRI at three to six months after the procedures. Again, this is a significant commitment for these patients. Ventrix is now gearing up for phase two clinical trial that will expand on the successful first in human study. They are planning a larger randomized trial that will evaluate how effectively Ventrigel can improve cardiac function and quality of life for patients experiencing heart failure. Now, I thought it would be fun to do a double feature because we all know that I can be a little bit dry and a little bit dark, and while this is a huge advance to the wellness and future of heart health, there's also something that you should keep in mind. So, a double feature. On September 10, 2019, from, again, Science Daily, sourced from University of British Columbia, Commonly used antibiotics may lead to heart problems. Scientists have shown for the first time a link between two types of heart problems and one of the most commonly prescribed classes of antibiotics. In a study published in the Journal of American College of Cardiology, researchers at University of British Columbia 
a partnership with provincial health services authorities. Therapeutic evaluation found that current users of fluoroquinolone antibiotics such as ciprofloxacin or Cipro face 2.4 times greater risk of developing aortic and mitral regurgitation. This is where the blood flows backwards into the heart compared to patients who take amoxicillin, which is a different type of antibiotic. The greatest risk is within 30 days of use. So it's not that you're all clear after 30 days, but that's the greatest risk period. Recent studies have linked the same class of antibiotics to other heart problems. Some physicians favor fluoroquinolones over antibiotics for their broad spectrum of antibacterial activity and high oral absorption, which is effective as intravenous or IV treatment. You can send patients home with a once-a-day pill, said Meyer Etiman lead author and associate professor of ophthalmology and visual sciences in the Faculty of Medicine at UBC. This class of antibiotics is very convenient, but for the majority of cases, especially community-related infections, they are not readily needed. Wow, so okay, so you only have to take a pill once a day, but you're at a two and a half times higher risk of heart issues. The inappropriate prescribing may cause both antibiotic resistance as well as serious heart problems. The researchers hope their study helps inform the public and physicians that if patients present with cardiac issues where no other cause has been discovered, fluoroquinolone antibiotics could potentially be the clot the cause. Sorry, I almost said clause there because I'm predicting a class action lawsuit in about five years. One of the key objectives of the therapeutic evaluation unit is to evaluate different drugs and health technologies to determine whether they enhance the quality of care delivered by our programs or improve patient outcomes, said Dr. Bruce Carlton director of the unit and research investigator at BC's hospital, a program for PHSA. The study highlights the need to be thoughtful when prescribing antibiotics, which can sometimes cause harm. As a result of the work, we will continue working with the BC Antimicrobial Stewardship Committee to ensure that appropriate prescribing of this class of antibiotics to patients across British Columbia can reduce inappropriate prescribing. Be your own advocate, folks. Ask if the medication is necessary and if there are any other alternatives. For this study, scientists analyzed data from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's adverse reporting system. They also analyzed a massive private insurance claims database in the U.S. to capture demographics, drug identification, doses prescribed, and treatment duration. Researchers identified... Okay, are you ready for this? It's a high number. I'll let you guess. Is it more than five? Is it more than ten? 12,505 cases of valvular regurgitation, means the blood flows backwards, and 125 and 20 case control subjects in a random sample of more than 9 million patients. They defined current fluoroquinolone exposure as an active prescription for 30 days prior to the adverse event. 
recent exposure as within days 31 to 60 and past exposure as within days 61 to 365 prior to an incident. Scientists compared fluoroquinolone use with amoxicillin and azithromycillin. The results showed that the risk of aortic and mitricular regurgitation blood backflow into the heart is highest with current use followed by recent use. They saw no increase in risk aortic and mitricular regurgitation with past use. Ethamin hopes that if other studies confirm these findings, regulatory agencies would add the risk of aortic and mitricular regurgitation to the alerts as potential side effects and that the results would prompt physicians to use other classes of antibiotics as the first line of defense for uncomplicated infections. This study was funded and conducted by the Department of Ophthalmology and the Therapeutic Evaluation Unit at the Provincial Health Services Authority. Okay, so I realize that you might be feeling a little bit low after hearing that information and kind of wondering to yourself, damn, if I, did I take that antibiotic? Did I ever take an antibiotic that was once a day before? How many times, when was the last time I went to the doctor? Okay, so before you concern yourself, I do have a good news thing for those of you who enjoy sleep. It's a short little article, so I thought maybe we can make this a triple feature. Maybe just to ease your heartache. Oof, sorry. Once or twice a week daytime nap linked to lower heart attack and stroke risk. But no such association was found with greater frequency during naps. Published September 9th, we're going back in time this week, 2019, source BMJ, which could mean a variety of things, I'm not. A daytime nap taken once or twice a week may lower the risk of having a heart attack or stroke. Findings in the journal, heart, okay, we're going to be really simple. Let's just call our journal heart. So many different things you could have said, pulse, beat. But no such association emerged for either greater frequency or duration of naps. The impact of napping on the heart has been hotly contested. I wonder if there's been fistfights. Many of the published studies on the topic have failed to consider napping frequency or focus purely on cardiovascular disease deaths or compared regular nappers with those not opting for mini-siesta. say the researchers. It does say siesta. In a bid to try and address these issues, they look at the association between napping frequency and average nap duration and the risk of fatal and non-fatal cardiovascular disease events, such as heart attack, stroke, and heart failure, among 3,462 randomly selected residents of Lausanne, Switzerland. Each participant was aged between 35 and 75 when recruited between 2003 and 2006 to the COLAS study. They have been looking for the factors behind the development of cardiovascular disease. Participants' first checked up, first checkup took place between 2019 and 2012. Over half, 
58%. And 24% of the participants said they didn't nap during the previous week. Around 1 in 5 said they took 1 to 2 naps. Around 12% said they took 3 to 5 naps. With similar proportion said they took 6 to 7. If you just took 6 to 7 naps a week, I mean, what is that life? Frequent nappers tended to be older male smokers way more and to sleep for longer at night than those who said they didn't nap during the day. They reported more daytime sleepers and more severe obstructive sleep apnea. If you don't know what sleep apnea is, it means a condition in which the walls of the throat relax and narrow during sleep, interrupting breathing. Basically snoring, but you're kind of suffocating at the same time. During the monitoring period, there were 155 fatal and non-fatal cardiovascular events. What? Occasional napping once to twice a week was associated with almost having an attack stroke heart failure risk of 50% compared to those who didn't nap at all. The association held true for taking account of potentially influential factors such as age and nighttime sleep duration, as well as cardiovascular disease risks such as high blood pressure and cholesterol. And it didn't change after factoring in excessive daytime sleepiness, depression, and regular sleeping for at least six hours a night. Only older adults aged over 65 and severe sleep apnea was affected by it. But the 67% heightened cardiovascular risk initiated, initially observed for frequent nappers virtually disappeared after taking account of potentially influential factors, and no associations with cardiovascular disease events were found for nap length from 5 minutes to 1 hour plus. This is an observational study and as such can't establish cause added to which the information on nap and sleep patterns relied on personal recall. But nap frequency may help explain the differing conclusions reached by researchers about the impact of napping on heart health, suggest the study authors. In a linked editorial, Dr. Yu Len and Christine Yaffe of the University of California, San Francisco, USA, point out that research in this area is hampered by the absence of a gold standard for identifying and measuring naps, making it premature to conclude on the appropriateness of napping for maintaining optimal heart health. But, they add, while the exact physical pathways linked daytime napping to cardiovascular disease risk is not clear, this research contributes to the ongoing debate on the health implications of napping and suggests that it might not only be the duration, but also the frequency that matters. It's kind of a dirty joke there. And they conclude the study of napping is a challenging but also a promising field with potentially significant public health implications. While there remain more questions than answers, it is time to start unveiling the power of naps for a supercharged heart. Note, content may be edited for style, length, and dark or dry sense of humor. Thank you for listening to From Hearing to Knowing.